Hi, I'm your host, Michael Gilbo, here to let you know about a new and innovative theater major, the BA in Theater and Business Arts at the University of Providence. Get the education and experience you need as a theater artist and the business acumen to succeed in your career. Visit broadwaybullet.com and stay tuned to the end of the program for more info. Now, enjoy the show. Center, it sounds very huge and elevated, and that's what it feels like. Like once you're working there, because rent is about much more than just friendship, love, and musical theater. It was about something that shook musical theater. People are becoming more and more comfortable with, you know, issue of people being different. I mean, we do it all. I mean, you know, we don't we don't back away from anything. Welcome back to Broadway Bullet, Volume 121. I'm your host, Michael Gilbo, and you come to the right place for destinations on and off Broadway. This week, we've got an interview with the off-Broadway musical On the Boards, and they're going to perform two of the songs from the show as well. We've also got Paul Ryan, author of The Art of Comedy, also an acclaimed uh, host of many TV shows, and coach. Uh, here to talk about his book. We've also got the acapella group The Bridge in Listening Room. And Omri Shine talks to us briefly in a new segment we're going to call One to Watch. And Marty Cooper has seen a lot of stuff this week, and of course he has a lot to say about it in On the Positive Side. Also, for those of you who are new to listening to the show and maybe just listening online or from another site, the best way to make sure you don't miss an episode is to subscribe. If you're an iTunes or iPod user, it's real easy. At BroadwayBullet.com, there's just an ad to iTunes iTunes buttons, and every time you turn on iTunes, it'll look for the new episode, making sure you don't miss it every week. If you uh, use something else, there's the XML button, and that way you can subscribe in the podcatcher of your choice. Podcasting is the way to make sure you don't miss an episode here. All right, well, let's not waste any more time and get right into the action. On the Boards. 33 to Nothing is a play with music that was last seen in New York ending April 28th, 2006, but... It was successful. It is back, and it's uh, had a few changes, and we've got three of the people here with us today in the studio. How are you guys doing? Hey, hey Michael. Up, Michael. How you doing? Good. I uh, got a bunch of you, so you, uh, you want to introduce yourselves and what you're doing with the show so our listeners can identify your voices. I'm John Good. I'm an actor and guitarist, singer in the show. I'm Grant James Vargas. I'm an actor in the show and singer and piano player, as well as the writer of the play and the composer of the music. And my name is Preston Clark, and I'm the lead guitarist, uh, singer, actor in the play. Well, now, you guys build this as a play with music. So I guess what is the concept here of 33 to Nothing? The play is basically a, um, a band's rehearsal in real time, 90 minutes out of this band's rehearsal, in which... Um, so the songs actually come out of the, the practicality of the band rehearsing them for a show, as opposed to... Um, us bursting into song and and um, conversing with each other that way. But they basically also, the songs sort of serve to tell the backstory of the characters in the show. The lead singer is someone who seems to only be able to communicate through his lyrics as opposed to actually saying things to people out loud. And um, the relationships in the play are, there's a married couple in the play, which is John and Amanda Gruce, and she plays bass. And, um, and then there's a gay couple, um, Preston's character and mine, who have broken up. And uh, most of the songs the lead characters seems to write are about the breakup, which obviously makes the um, lead guitarist a little uncomfortable. So it's basically those relationships in a, and the dynamic of a band and real relationships in a, in a band rehearsal. 
So is the drummer's girlfriend there the whole time saying, oh, you're awesome. The drummer's girlfriend calls <laughs> repeatedly. And interrupts practice, much like yeah. that phone just did. <laughs> she, she's a very, very strong offstage character. <laughs> yes, she's constantly calling him, and he's constantly <laughs> taking her calls. So what was your kind of inspiration for putting together a, a musical, so to speak? Well, I was in a band a few years ago um, that, that played around New York uh, at the same time as I was trying to be an actor, and... Um, I just, I really, the, the dynamic of a band is is so specific, but it's also so universal. I think any band will have the same stories. I mean, drummers always seem to have the same personality. Bass players seem to have similar personalities. And so the band dynamics always seem kind of similar and that people relate to them very well. And I started writing the play as a comedy about a band and then um, ended up fusing all of the things that were pretty much happening at my in my life at the time into the play, which made it much more serious and autobiographical. Um, so it started out being about this comedy about a band, and now it's sort of about relationships and and being in your 30s and deciding whether or not you're wasting your time by trying to be a musician or an actor um, and whether or not you should start trying to you know, be an adult and have kids and a house and a real job. Well, I know it's an extra treat for us. You're going to perform some of these songs acoustically here, right here in the studio. So do we want to get to one of those quick and see what this music is like? Sure, that sounds great. Um, it was, you want to set up this first song? How it... This first song is called Now That It's Over, and in the play it is a, a song that um, the gay couple has insisted on, uh, one half of the gay couple has insisted on rewriting so that he can get his point of view on the breakup into the song. So it's sort of a duet between um, Gray and his ex-boyfriend, Bri. I walked away before it was over I left you standing there and just ran away If you had said just goodbye You never would have gone so far Now I know it'll never be the same I walked away before it was over And now I'm drinking just to get out of bed Don't want to let this go by I can't get you on your phone Guess we know I'm just trying to make it through tonight now. So I hope we'll be okay It's too late now And you will see me someday And it's not just as someone that hurt Just 
makes all of us do the same So much for the truth Don't want to do this to you I don't want to break this to you Just trying to live, live my life It's too actually a band here before putting together the show or no not no. really um, we kind of we kind of got together and then we just kind of added pieces on uh, actually Amanda learned how to play bass for this show in particular I mean Preston's the only real real like professional musician but the rest of us have, have played just kind of non-professionally and now we've actually become a real band which is kind of funny we played out <laughs> at the knitting factory in Arlene's grocery and uh, we actually cut an album as well we decided instead of doing the uh, a soundtrack to the play like uh, um, we would do the album that the band would have made if the band was actual actually real so it's uh, we do have a CD that that's on sale at the show and on our website and everything 33 to nothing.com thank you <laughs> and um, but it's in, and we tried to make it a, a, a real band's rock album instead of just the soundtrack to the play so which was harder the the musicians that had to learn to act or the actors who had to learn to play music I don't know. <laughs> it's tough to say. It's um, so far. It actually, it's been easier than than any of us thought it would be. Preston um, is a great musician, and, and and having a real musician in the show, able to teach and um, help with arrangements, um, which he did on the record, and just be the guy there that you know can can help you when you don't know what you're doing on your instrument is great. And, um, and he also got kind of in a Broadway pedigree now too yes and um uh we also have now um this guy keith levinson who's our, our our musical director for the show which the first time around we did the show we kind of just did it ourselves and this time we have a, a great music direct musical director who's done a lot of broadway and a lot of rock music and he also produced our hitters. record what we brought in some heavy hitters for yeah <laughs> and, and directing the show too and directing the show is randall myler who's Fantastic. Yeah, and did Love Janice and uh, Ain't Nothing But the Blues and um, Lonesome Highway. Is that the name of it? Lost Highway. Lost Hank Williams played no, Lost that's Highway. David Lynch. No, no, that's no, it. No, it's, 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 it's Lost Highway, the, the no, musical. <laughs> but he he has been like incredible to have because if this isn't his genre, it's nobody's. I mean, he is has so much experience and has mastered sort of the the idea of having live music within um, a play. And having the play and the live music interact and intertwine, it's not just, you know, he helped us to really see um, how we could make it less of a sort of drama song, drama song. And he's just been really, really, really great. Do you think all bands could benefit by having a director at the rehearsals? <laughs> it's always good to have someone who's definitely the boss um, that can say, that, that can end an argument. But yeah, yeah, it probably would. <laughs> it certainly helped us. Yeah. We're going to hear another song from you guys. Uh, 
what's this one? This next song is called Low to the Ground, which um, is one of the new songs. It wasn't in the show the first time, and it's one of the newer songs in the show. It's another breakup song, um, but I also we also like to think of it kind of as uh, the, the band's single, if they had one, that this is their, this is their hit. Do you remember what you said When you thought I needed taking down the peg? Do you remember what you said When you were sure that I would just leave you for dead Because you thought I just cannot believe In a life for us only you could see Well I recall What you said when you thought I'd taken someone else to bed? Do you remember what you said when I told you it was all in your head? Hey, don't you trust me, baby? Because I just had to believe. understand that the theater you're performing in is the first green 
theater, and I gotta know what that means because I'm yeah. envisioning people sharing a communal toilet. Well, yeah. <laughs> well an, an that's an option. <laughs> all, all, everyone except the stars. Passing toilet paper back and forth. <laughs> Reusable, of yeah. course. It's cloth toilet paper. <laughs> no, the, the space is eco-friendly, and it's um, it's been constructed with um, a Wait, lot. What of, is the name of the space? The space is called the Wild Project. It's on East Third Street between Avenue A and B. And, and it's, it's actually where we did the show before, but it, we've renovated it completely, or the owner of the theater has renovated it completely and made it this 100-seat theater as opposed to a 50-seat theater. And it's completely eco-friendly, completely green. It's made with reusable bamboo. It's um, got solar panels. Recycled glass. Um, all the the um, fixtures, uh, like, the, like toilets and sinks and things, are all eco-friendly and done with... Water. Soft flushing and water conservation, and um, even the the cups in the in the bar area in the front in the gallery area are made from corn and recyclable materials. And um, the the wine and beer that will be available will be organic. And it's um it's, it's a it's a big hippie paradise. There. <laughs> is there air conditioning? There is great oh, air conditioning. Yeah. Okay, good. You, yeah, yeah, yeah. I hear green theater and I picture sweating. Oh god, no, it's, it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful, beautiful theater. It's probably the, it's one of the prettiest theaters. It really is. It's, and also the, the the theater has 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 its own website that explains the ego stuff and um, also the gallery that's in the front of the theater. And the, the, that website is www.thewildproject.com. Um, yeah, it's it's a beautiful, beautiful theater, especially uh, you know if you're used to off Broadway theaters. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they right. have really nice seats. Yeah, that's true. Really so, nice seats. So, how do we see the show? Where do people go to get tickets? All that great information. Well, the tickets are uh, if you go to www.33tonothing.com, <laughs> There's a link to buy tickets. And theater um, through theatermania.com. And um, previews begin on Thursday. Thursday the nineteenth, and, and then the, and the show opens. The, the 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 big opening for the show is the twenty fifth of July, Wednesday the twenty fifth, and then we'll be running Tuesdays through Saturdays at eight o'clock um, for the foreseeable future. All right, so an open run. Yes, open run. but I always tell people get there early because an open run does, definitely doesn't mean forever if the tickets aren't selling. Definitely. <laughs> right. Well, I thank you guys for coming down and talking about the show and thank playing you, play some songs Thanks, for Michael. us. And best of luck. Thanks, Thanks. a lot. Thanks a lot. The call board. Oh well, besides putting the show together every week, what I do really is I record here in the recording studio in Times Square. So if you or you know anybody who is looking to do any recording, uh, just have them give me a buzz at 646-345-3433, or you can email me at info at broadwaybullet.com. Uh, not just theater. We do theater stuff. In fact, last week we just cut an industry demo for People vs. Mona, which is a little bit more elaborate than the the brief live thing we did for the program. Um, but pop, rock, R&B, uh, you know, a little bit of everything. Excel at vocal production and, uh, and getting that all sounding tight. So, again, just give me a call if you or you know somebody who's looking to do some recording. Easy to get to, and we got reasonable rates. And, again, if you're looking to buy, sell, or rent an apartment in New York City, uh, my business partner, David Shapiro, uh, does real estate. So give him a call at 646-920-3402. Make sure to say that you heard about it through Broadway Bullet. He's really going to go the extra mile to take care of you. Okay, for a couple other announcements, next week at Broadway in Bryant Park is... Grey Gardens, Hairspray, Les Mis, and Mary Poppins, hosted by Valerie Smaldone. That's going to be Thursday, August 2nd. 
Then on August 1st, I Love You, You're Perfect, Now Change turns the big 11. 11 years running off Broadway. And High Fidelity is singing a few songs from their cast album. Will Chase and Jen Colella will be there. And on August 4th, Mel Brooks' Young Frankenstein hits Seattle. Catch the red eye over there if you just can't wait to see what happens in New York. Anthony Rapp and Adam Pascal are rejoining the cast of Rent on July 30th. And uh, Little Birdie tells me they're going to be stopping in the studio to talk about a lot of stuff. So they have that to look forward to. All right, uh, Marin Davey from A Chorus Line joins the cast of The Drowsy Chaperone as Janet Vandergraaf on July 31st. So a lot of change is happening. All right, we'll be bringing you more of that information next week in the call board. Now back to some of our interviews. On the boards. Opening Saturday 28th is the website phenomenon turned off-Broadway play in New York. The show is called My First Time, and based on the website, it's about, well, what do you think, people's first times. A talented cast of four actors performs everybody in all their first times, and we are lucky enough to have all the actors here in the studio to do a brief selection from the show, as well as talk to us. So, first off, we have... Sydney Welburn. All right, let's hear your monologue first. I learned that no one can love two people. His wife deserves his full attention, and I stole that from her. I didn't think it was too important at first, but as we became closer, I began to see him suffer from the lies he was telling himself and his family. I hope he knows what he means to me, and what he meant to me that wondrous Friday night. I hope he felt the things he said he felt, and I hope he finds those things with his wife. All right. So, uh, first off, I've got a couple of rapid-fire questions, and oh, that yeah. is, are you a virgin? I am not. How many people ask you that? Not many. <laughs> no. You know, I'm surprised my father hasn't asked me. With but. the show? <laughs> but have no, you, no one's asked, no. Have you invited your mother to the show yet? Both my parents, uh, one of my grandmothers, and my great-aunt have all seen the show. <laughs> okay. So, what I'm wondering is, now, this is based on the website, mm-hmm. or, or brought from the stories that real people have submitted, and there's like, what, 40,000 stories submitted? Over, yeah. yeah. So is the show like locked down, or do you like bring in new stories every once in a while? We have pretty much decided which stories we're going to be telling. Some have have disappeared, but nothing new has come in. We've pretty much decided which stories are, are going to be told and, and how they're going to be told. So uh, from your friends, what's the funniest reaction you've heard when you tell them what the show you're about? A lot of raised eyebrows, <laughs> um, a lot of excitement. They want to know if there's nudity. Um, or if there's, you know, any simulation of first-time experiences, which I assure them that there's not. Um, it's, it's just uh, a great sit-down experience for everybody. All right. And uh, what, uh, what's your favorite role that you've done prior to this? I've had a lot of really amazing experiences that have run the gamut, um, worked with really fun people. But for me, it was doing hair when I was in college. That was my first experience, um, just really throwing myself into the life of of a story and really being given permission to go as far as I possibly could with delving into that lifestyle. So that was really fun for me. It was an amazing learning experience. And uh, what's the widest range of like characters you play over the evening in the show? Well, I tell some very tragic stories. 
Um, I tell a couple of funny stories, but for me, a lot of my heavy hitters are are stories that that kind of make your skin crawl, that that kind of make you wonder if you should be laughing or crying. And I think that's one of the beauties of theater is that you experience that live moment, and you're never sure which, and you just have to go with your feelings and go with your emotions. So that's really exciting for me is to tell a, a scary story and look out into the audience and just see everyone really engaged. All right. Yeah. Well, let's hear from your next cast member. All right. Thank you so much. I was on a bus home from school, and a guy sitting next to me was listening to some pretty cool music. I started a conversation with him about it, and he introduced himself as Sean. He said he had all the band CDs back at his house if I wanted to borrow them. He lived pretty close to me, so I walked back to his place. He told me straight out he was gay. But I didn't have a problem with it. I just asked him what it was like, but... Nothing he said really shocked me. He came over and he sat next to me. He asked me if I liked him. I, I said I thought he was quite good looking and very funny. <laughs> he leaned forward and he kissed me. On my lips. Alright. So, uh, again, what's your name again? My name is Josh. Josh. Yeah. So, okay, a couple quick questions here. Sure. Are you a virgin? Ah, <laughs> no. Since starting the show, how many people have asked you that? <laughs> More than I can count, probably. <laughs> <laughs> Have you invited your mother to the show yet? She was there first night. <laughs> and and her, her uh, there's a, an audience participation part of the show, and I found out after the show that her, her story was one that was shared in front of uh, the audience. So, so what's this audience participation part? I'm, I'm gathering from the sounds of it they drop their stories in a hat or something. <laughs> <laughs> Something like that. I, I don't want to give away too much because yeah. I want to come, people to come uh, check out the show. But um, there are uh, there are certain surveys that are taken, and uh, and the stories of the audience is is brought to life on stage. And I don't want to give away too much. But it's, it won't be incriminating in any way. I don't want anybody to be scared to come see the show. What was the challenge in uh, theatricalizing these stories taken from the website? Um, the challenge was, well, it was, there's so many stories, and I think that's that's probably the biggest challenge. There's not, like, the direct through line isn't immediately available to you. So the challenge was kind of taking these individual characters and kind of making them your own and um, just kind of weaving them in to the the play as a whole and uh, kind of doing that seamlessly <laughs> so uh so what's your like favorite the favorite characters or vignettes that you get to take on over this oh they're all great they all they all they're um they're all special in their own way I, uh that one i just did he's kind of he's like a surfer dude you know he's just experiencing certain aspects of sex for the first time and he's cool about it and you know there's like there's this sto a story I have in, in the middle of just kind of a very very sweet sort of almost like suburban fairy tale story that I I, I really enjoy living in for that moment with the audience. <laughs> All right, well we're gonna hear from the next actor now on the show. All right, thanks, thanks for a coming lot. up. I did not have my cherry popped until September fifteenth, nineteen eighty four. 12 days before my 20th birthday. My friends had been fucking like rabbits since we were 13. I held out, not because I was saintly or moral, because I was afraid of the damn thing. Anything that could grow six inches and get that hard in a matter of seconds had to be dangerous. <laughs> All right, so you want to introduce yourself quickly? Hi, I'm Kathy Searle. 
All right, a couple of quick questions. Yes, absolutely. Are you a virgin? Uh, no, I'm not, unfortunately. No, I shouldn't say unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> Since starting the show, how many people have asked you that? Um, actually, you are the first. <laughs> so thank you for popping my virgin question, Cherry. <laughs> And have you invited your mother to the show? I absolutely have. They're coming opening night, July 28th. <laughs> They're very, very excited, my mom and my dad. I'm a little bit nervous about my sisters coming, you know, because it's always awkward with the, the sisters. You always want to think that your sisters are virgins and pure. <laughs> <laughs> so now with over 40,000 stories on the website that kind of launched this all. What was, do you know what the process was like in terms of selecting it down to a 90 minute show? Yeah, actually I, um, I've worked with Ken Davenport before the creator, producer and whatnot. Um, I was working on awesome 80s prom and he actually had told me about this show because he had found this website and he said, you know, there's over 40,000 stories. I really want to try to workshop stuff. And he basically picked um, we have what's called rapid fire in the show, and he picked one-liners to little mini paragraphs from various stories. I mean, I would say we cover almost a thousand stories in the show, even if it's just a one-liner. Um, but he really was very specific. I mean, he wanted it to be, he wanted it to be funny, but he also wanted to have this sort of truth of what sex is. There's positives and negatives with sex, and. Unfortunately, not everyone has lost their virginity in a positive way. So he was very, very smart with the way he picked the stories. Now, uh, Ken also produced Alter Boys. Yes, he did. Any cross promotions planned? <laughs> I love that show. Any cross promotions planned? <laughs> um, I certainly hope so, because actually it's funny. When God visits Alter Boys, we are actually having our orgasm in the show. So it's really kind of appropriate, because God's there and God's in our theater, too. We're right next door. <laughs> I think we should, though. <laughs> All right. So thanks so much again for Thank joining you. us. Thank you. Thank you so much. And please come check out the show. Right. Thank you. In 1984, my aunt got a flu shot, caught the flu, and died in her sleep. Uh, my entire family raised their collective eyebrow when she left me the house, her meager savings, and the insurance proceeds, naming me in the will as the man who made her whole. <laughs> I played dumb, of course, but my family then suspected what they never suspected before. <laughs> Fuck them. All right, you want to introduce yourself? Hi, my name is Bill Dawes, and I'm in the play My First Time. So, uh, are you a virgin? <laughs> no. <laughs> the reason I ask this been everybody, because uh, you have been having a promotion occasionally where virgins sometimes get in free, isn't that correct? That's correct. Uh, we have a mentalist to determine if the person's actually a virgin or a, a lying whore. <laughs> and a couple lying whores try to get in, but he knew. So how many people have asked you that question, though, just as a joke since you started the show? Well, the show isn't really about virgins, although that, that, that promotion has big, been the biggest thing. But um, anyone who knows me won't ask me that. <laughs> They'll just ask me for flat-out numbers. Which I won't divulge. And have you invited your mother to the show? Um, my mother and father live in uh, California, but they've seen me full-frontally naked on stage before on an off-Broadway show. Uh, and they've seen me do some pretty crazy uh, <laughs> downtown New York theater, so they'd be okay with this. This is probably... probably <laughs> this is tame, then, This is the most you. sanitized play they would ever come see me in, actually. Pre pretty much true, yeah. So this, I mean, this is your Disney play. At least I'm not... At least, you know, if my parent, <laughs> You know, my dad was a boring... My dad's kind of like the, the Bible-bashing guy, so... Uh, um, so I think he'd just be glad I'm, I'm not playing a gay character, which is what I played for two years in Gross Indecency. 
you know. So believe me, they're they're alright if I'm naked and I'm killing people, but uh, my southern dad doesn't want me to be. Anyway, <laughs> that's whole. You don't have a therapy session here, do you? <laughs> well, isn't that what the show kind of is? Is entertaining entertaining therapy session. So, um, what's been the favorite part of putting together the show for you? Um. Well, really, just it's it's really cool the process of taking all these primary sources. Uh, like I said, the fir- my first play was Gross Indecency. We took all these primary sources and we put them together into a play. The process of doing that w- with this subject matter and taking these stories and rearranging lines for rhythm and flow, it's kind of like a... It, it, there's something very like mathematical about it and very cool discovering rhythms and where jokes are and how we all have work together and create some synchronicity. It's also just really cool to create different characters. Like I get to go up there and be a goofy kid who got laid in a plane. And then I get to go up there and be a, 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 you know, a dubious, you know, quasi date rapist, you know, and I get to kind of completely mix with the expectations of what people think I'm going to be when I come up on, you know, whenever I start talking. That's what I like. Now, are any of the actors or creatives involved with the show? Are are your stories actually in this no, but it's funny you said that because I uh, I read the the webs the web you know the website this this came from and you know there's some there's some good stories there but in general a lot of people aren't writing funny funny stories they're writing you know honest stories or kind of salacious stories but there weren't a lot of funny stories and uh, I toured with Jamie Kennedy and he his story of his first time is hilarious so I wrote the story of his first time on the website. As soon, like, as soon as I got cast play, I was like, I was like, we need some comedy. So I wrote this uh, story, which is absolutely real. It, you know, it's about him having sex in the '80s, and it's like, you know, back in the '80s, uh, you know, they didn't like trim and shave, like make it look like an NBA basketball court. Everything it was like a bush. It was like an Amazon rainforest. It looked like a member of the Jackson Five was trapped between her legs. And uh, and he does this whole thing about like you know we can't find it and when he finally does it's right away and then she ends up putting flour all over her vagina trying to dry it up like he was trying to make pussy cookies and she didn't get pregnant but I think she did get a yeast infection so th- it's like a funny like stand up bit and Ken saw right through it he was like he goes yeah I could tell a stand up comic wrote that bit <laughs> so it didn't get used so none of the stories are us at all. All right, so now the show's opening on the 28th, and it's for an open run, correct? Yeah, the show opens July 28th at New World Stages, every Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and is open run, so it could run for three more months or three more years. Or three more weeks, so do rush to see the show. I always say never take it for granted that a show's open. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Although tickets have been selling well, and people like it. Word of mouth is good. And where do they go? Um, they go to uh, TicketCharge.com or Telemaster.com, telecharge. T- Telecharge.com to get their tickets. And they can go to the website, which is www.MyFirstTimeToPlay.com. And it's at New World Stages on 50th Street between 8th and 9th Avenue every Thursday, Friday, and Saturday night at 8 o'clock. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. <laughs> Page Turners. Well, the only person that'll tell you that comedy is easy is perhaps people who don't do comedy. Paul Ryan has been involved with coaching comedians for a long time and has just released a book, The Art of Comedy, Getting Serious About Being Funny. We have the opportunity to chat with him in the studio about all of the experiences he's had. How are you doing? Excellent. Great to be here, Michael. You know, I think that uh, I'm falling more in love with my title every day. Because when I say about the art of comedy getting serious about being funny, 
It is a commitment. I love working with theater people because, you know, I saw two Broadway shows in the last two nights, Grey Gardens and um, Spring Awakening. And when you do a show on Broadway, you have got to be incredibly talented. I mean, in Spring Awakening, there's their dance, their choreography, their singing, everything is A+. I live in Los Angeles, and there are people who get hired a lot of the times because they're pretty. That oh, would, really? That would not, that would not oh, suffice. I'm shocked. Um, I, I know that comes as a big shock to you, that the world is now surrounded around Paris Hilton because she's going, uh, you know where she's going, and by the time this airs, she'll be out. <laughs> she'll be running for president. She'll have her own talk show, her own fashion line. But, you know, in Los Angeles, there are personal managers who represent people. And uh, if they're 24, their managers say, you have to lie. Say you're 19 or 20. At the age of 24, you have to lie in Los Angeles. Is that unbelievable? That is, yeah. It's pretty sad, actually. But um, when I work with people who have done theater training, it's like a whole different world. In Los Angeles, there's, I'm not putting down Los Angeles because I love it, but I'm just telling you the quirky things that people may not realize. There used to be a time in show business where people studied with really great coaches, and that was part of their craft. It was a big part of their craft. In Los Angeles now, they have workshops that a casting director teaches, like one-nighters. So I've had people come to my class, and I say, where have you studied? And they say, well, I studied it this place for one night and this place for one night. It's a casting director workshop where the casting director comes, gives them a scene, and the actors come because they want to do work in front of a casting director. They want to meet the casting director. Exactly, (laughs) exactly. So they don't really care about the chop so much because it's fleeting to get the opportunity to meet these casting directors. So when I come into New York and I see Broadway shows, I go, it's like nectar. Talent, talent, talent. I've interviewed so many Broadway people who have come to Los Angeles, and you can tell the difference between somebody who makes it, who comes from New York and has done stage. Someone like John Lithgow, you know he's done the, he's got the chops. So it's exciting to see that kind of person, that kind of person work, and they have legs because they know how to play. Like uh, on his on his sitcom, sitcom is like theater. Because people who are really good at theater, they know how to play out to an audience. Sitcom is three cameras. They're playing out. They know how to have the energy. They know how to have a stage presence. They know comedy timing because they've done it. Because theatrical timing is comedy timing in so many of these great comedies. So I love what I do. I've had the good fortune to interview so many incredible stars who've who've emanated their careers from New York and from Broadway. What is the thing that holds a lot of theater people back. I mean, there's no question, I think, that there's almost a disdain in Hollywood for theater people sometimes. I wouldn't say disdain, but I think there was a time in Hollywood where people, like casting people, would look at resumes and go, oh, this person's done Broadway. They don't care anymore. If you come from Dancing with the Stars or American Idol, I mean, look at the, look at the situation. Fantasia coming from, from American Idol into The Color Purple. It's all about popularity, TBQ, who's popular, who's got a demographic, who's going to bring in people. Another guy from uh, American Idol from a previous season, he's in The Fantastics. Joey Lawrence is starring on Broadway in Chicago. So there's like a reverse thing that's going well, yeah, on now. The reverses always happen. Broadway's always, you know, kind of sometimes relied on bringing but in more, the stars. But more today than ever before, I think. But, for instance, you just, what would you say, why can't Christine Ebersol catch a break in Hollywood? You just saw her last night. That's because you know why? 
because youth, it's so youth-oriented. Sad to say. If I go into a, ho- I, mean, I, I have a hosting agent, but if I go into a hosting agency and there's a kid who's 20, who's a, a good-looking guy or a good-looking girl, they'll probably get taken over me, and I've got a ton of experience. It's so youth-oriented. And because Christine, I don't know how old Christine Ebersole is, but you know, there's a lot of veteran actresses who have a bigger name who are going to be taken over her for a movie or a TV show. She doesn't have that TVQ. And yet, next season, if she wins a Tony Award, television will want her. If, they, if you win a big award in Hollywood, it makes a difference. Somebody wins an Academy Award, they were totally unknown before. If you're nominated, it makes a huge difference. And also, television people love movie people. The networks love to hire somebody who's in a movie and it's been well-received and put them in a TV show. That's a coup for them. Mm-hmm. As far as how you, how you teach comedy... I would think that there's a big difference between having to keep a performance fresh eight times a week, time after time after time, versus getting the timing right for the moment for film. What do you mean exactly? Are there different techniques in terms of you want to be more spontaneous on film versus a little bit more planned for the Good stage? Good question. Or? Good question. A lot of times in movies, the director wants the actor to do it as written, and then when they're when you're finished, they'll say... Let's improvise it. Let's see what you come up with. They love improvisation in California, big time. A lot of times you'll go in and they'll say, let's see what you come up with. Let's improvise this. They, and so they send people out. I mean, agents and managers will call me because they want their clients to be funnier. And so I do a combination of both. I do a combination of improv, which gives people a chance to get up three times a class. And then I like to do the end working on a script written by somebody else because I have a special technique for getting people to be good at written material. Some people could be very good at improv and not good at the written word. When you say be impeccable in the word, Neil Simon, you have to say exactly what he's written. There's no improvisation with Neil Simon, who to me is the great American playwright. And I recommend my students read trilogies, you know, read all his plays and you'll learn beginning, middle, and end. You'll learn where the arc is going in a scene. That's a a buzzword, a buzz phrase they love to use in L.A. Do you know the arc of the scene? Do you know where it's going? Do you know where the different beats are? So that's kind of exciting. I, I think that people who are improv have more of a freedom, and I think that you just have to be able to do both. Improvisation is one skill. Working with the written word is another skill. And uh, you have to be inventive. When I work with people on the written word, I have people read the scene a couple of times. Because what happens sometimes, actors want to just go in, look at a scene, and learn it right away. Well, they miss out on what the underneath is, the underbelly of the scene. So I have people read it a couple of times more if possible. Just keep reading the scene until it just starts popping out at you. And then I have people identify what is the truth of the scene. So the brain understands this is a scene about a, hundred, a husband and wife having an explosive volcanic argument over a ridiculous thing. And then they go, now it's time to personalize it. What does this remind you of in your own life? And then we improvise that. So now we have relatability. There's a fire in the belly. You've been emotionally triggered. And the third thing is, what is the action in the scene? What is the verb? Are you trying to intimidate? Are you trying to confront? Are you challenging somebody? Are you buttering somebody up? There's so many different things. So you, your physical body 
Stella Adler used to say, acting is 99% physical. It's in your entire body. So people get performances. I mean, when I just mentioned Jack Lemmon before on a previous show. The man was so free when he did The Prisoner of Second Avenue with Anne Bancroft. We love to see people get crazy. That makes somebody great comedically. Dudley Moore was able to do that at Arthur. You know, we love people going nuts. Steve Martin in The Out-of-Towners. People who were very, very free and willing to be silly, and yet they know exactly what they're doing. Why does comedy get so little respect? It gets a little bit more on stage than it does in Hollywood, but why, why, does, why do comedic actors get so little respect for their craft of acting? Well, I think you're alluding to possibly the Academy Awards, because people do incredible jobs in comedy performances, and they'll always pick a dramatic performance over a comedic always performance. The, the guy who has a disease and is missing a foot and is hobbling around. <laughs> and just saying that sounded funny. That shows you how perverse I am because I've been in comedy too long. It's, it's a strange thing because people don't have the, the... It's like Jerry Lewis. That man should have an Academy Award, a special... Whatever they call those special awards, he should have had that years ago. The man is brilliant. And another thing that happens in Hollywood is people forget who came before them. When I came up in this business, when I, when I was growing up as a kid, I watched, you know, the Ed Sullivan show with my family. And I'd go over to my grandparents. We would all sit together and we would learn who the performers were. And uh, people don't have that today. In, in, in a way, we, people watch American Idol. But uh, I don't think people have the respect for comedy because they don't know the work that goes into it. And that's why I call the book The Art of Comedy Getting Serious About Being Funny because it's a lot of work and it is undervalued. And yet when we watch comedy shows, when you take I Love Lucy and how many years that was on and still on and that kids love it, it's mind boggling. I recently interviewed an actress named Betty Garrett. Betty Garrett was married to Larry Parks, who was one of the actors who, who did the Al Jolson story. Okay. And uh, he was blacklisted in the period in Hollywood where he was blacklisted. And Betty Garrett and her husband Larry Parks were best friends with Lucy and Ricky, Desi and Lucy. And uh, Lucy had invited Betty and Larry over for dinner. And afterwards she said, you know, I want you to take a look. We did this little pilot. I don't know. I don't know if it's any good or not. Take a look at it and see what you think. And that was the pilot to I Love Lucy. They didn't even have the confidence when they showed their friends. They didn't know because you don't know until people respond. That's the great thing with laughter and comedies is that each, and why people love eight shows a week because you get a different reaction every night. You see, we watch things and, and when somebody's really good, they make it look easy. And that's why we don't realize it. That when you do something in comedy, people need to understand Comedy timing is something that's an incredible gift for people because we'll watch Will and Grace over and over again because it's so funny. We like to watch those shows because it heals us, it makes us laugh, and that's the greatest gift anyone can give anybody else. This book, I understand, isn't just for people who are interested in comedy uh, from a theoretical level or their favorite performers. Am I right that this also teaches them how they can use comedy techniques to improve their own lives, whether they're yes, businessmen or... Exactly. This is a book for, uh, for, for everybody. 
you know, it's, it's going to be great for actors who want to get better at comedy acting. But I designed the book in such a way that these exercises can help anyone from whatever vocation they have in life. For anybody who wants to get better in their relationships and meeting a spouse or partner, a sense of humor, getting light, uh, knowing how to be looser in life is a big benefit. So this exercise in that will help you greatly in your health, you know, if you, if you do comedy work. If people follow the work in this book, they will transform their lives. This is my gift to people, and this is why I sat down to write it. Sometimes I was standing, sometimes I was sitting. It just depended on my mood. <laughs> but, I, you know, hats off to everybody who writes a book because it does take a lot of discipline. But my gift is I love to go out and get people from all walks of life. You know, I've done events with non-actors, and I, have, I must tell you, everybody's a ham. I've done nine cruises as a speaker. And uh, there's one situation that I'll do. It's called the clips from the best talk shows. Talk show pieces that you missed while you were out at work. And one of them is um, gay couples trying to adopt. So I'll get two elder men, you know, very straight on one side and two women on the other. And people just fall right into it. People want to play. Women attracted to prisoners. And uh, I'll put people together, a girl and a guy and a girl and a guy. And I cast them well. And, but it's just funny because people want to play. They just don't have the outlet. So I recommend people, instead of people having co uh, coffee breaks at work, having comedy breaks and opening the book and doing some of the exercises in there, inviting people over uh, for a social situation and doing these exercises and having comedy parties. And people will be funnier in their lives and they'll have a great time. This sounds fantastic. And, and for people who they can get the book at Amazon.com. Or PaulRyanProductions.com. And I assume at the PaulRyanProductions.com they can also find about your excellent classes in Los yes, Angeles. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So I'm taking it on the road. All right. Taking it on the road. Well, I thank you for stopping by our studios while you're here in New York. I love it. Thanks. positive side. Hey, this is Marty Cooper once again on the positive side. I got to say this fast because I got a lot to say. I want to welcome Laura and Max to Broadway at the Brooks Atkinson. Hope you do well. I want to say goodbye to a few people. The long-running Beauty and the Beast is leaving. I want to say goodbye to Belle and her prince. Hope they live happily ever after. Uh, the Beals and the Bouviers are leaving. We really loved you over there. Depressed us to no end, but uh, you were great. And uh, Goodbye to the greatest Mama Rose that ever lived at City Center as of uh, the 29th. That's over. One other thing I have to say. I bought tickets for Young Frankenstein last night. Spent my 121.25, I think it is. That kind of makes me laugh because they still have to charge uh, something for the theater when they're charging you $120. All I can get was row U in the orchestra. This is a practice that's been going on with other shows where... The producers buy up the seats and sell them for a premium price. I don't think this is totally right. I, actually, I bought tickets uh, with my American Express Platinum card. Uh, and so the tickets aren't available to the general public. So how can only R-S-T-U-V-X-Y-Z-W-X-Y-Z rows be available to the public if uh, I can't believe through May that's all the seats that are available? My guess is that because the producers are selling the tickets for $375, premium seats, that they have the tickets. The problem being is that theatergoers will go anyway. 
I'm a little upset with this. I feel a little taken back uh, that I got seats for October, but I'll be in row U on the side. My wife is kind of a theater snob. She doesn't like to sit in row U, especially in the Hilton Theater. Uh, it's in a different time zone. I think the show will start a half hour before it gets to us, actually. In any case, I saw and did a lot this week. I went from the sublime to the ridiculous, back to the sublime. On Friday evening, I was just so stirred by Patti LuPone's performance in uh, Gypsy and aghast that they are not recording this in any form or fashion. The Rose's Turn gave me palpitations. The other leads, uh, I think uh, Boyd Gaines was fantastic. Uh, one of the best Herbies I've ever seen. And Laura Benanti is not only a fantastic actress and singer, I was hoping when she took off that glove or lowered that dress strap that a little more would fall off. She is a gorgeous woman and very talented and enjoyed her totally. But I can't say enough about Patti LuPone. Uh, she just had me in tears constantly. Back to the ridiculous. Xanadu on Sunday afternoon. Ridiculous, but a lot of fun. What I found, I think Kerry Butler's great, but I found the older people really shine in this production. I think Tony Roberts is fantastic. And the two women, Jackie Hoffman and Mary Testa, are great. I mean, it's a treat to hear the two women sing Evil Woman. It's really uh, fantastic the way they do that number and other things in the show. I love the show, and I'd go back to that. And back to the sublime, the film of Hairspray. I agree with some of the critics, saying this is the best film musical in many years, the best adaption of a Broadway musical, and you just leave the theater in a wonderful mood, as you did when you saw the show. They changed the ending slightly, which I won't go into, they changed a little bit of the story, but nothing serious enough to bother anybody. It's a total joy, and I wanted to watch it right after I saw it the first time. I wanted to just sit there and watch it again. It made me feel so good. Everyone in it is fantastic. Uh, John Travolta, yes, that was him, is great. But in actuality, he'll probably be nominated, if he does get nominated for a supporting role, as the kids really uh, take up most of your time, and they are, all, they are all wonderful. And, of course, I can't say enough about the big, beautiful, blonde Queen Latifah. She's fantastic. Uh, had a great time this week. Oh, well, I hope you can get to see Gypsy, uh, those of you who are unlucky enough not to have seen it yet. Beg, borrow, or steal, but try to get in that theater before Sunday. It's great, great performance. You just know you're seeing history being made. Uh, I must say one thing about Get back to Gypsy for a second. Uh, the opening of the show where one scrim goes up after the other and you see a 27-piece orchestra, which is huge by today's Broadway standards, and they're playing possibly the greatest overture ever written, and it just takes your breath away. It leaves you breathless. In any case, if you can get to City Center, 55th between... Uh, uh, 7th and 6th Avenue. Even if you have to pay, excuse me, premium prices, try to get in and see it. Once again, if you have any opinions on what I had to say, and you might have a few, uh, or have any suggestions, email me at broadwaymarty at aol.com.
I want to say thanks to my listener who cleared up the, uh, uh, the, uh, uh, what I had to say about Tarzan. Uh, she wrote me and she said that it is because of the cost of Little Mermaid, they had to close Tarzan, which to me is no excuse. I mean, you're talking about Disney having too much cost. I don't understand that whatsoever. I love Tarzan and I wish it stayed around. And uh, I don't care if you, anybody out there who didn't like it, you can write me also. There are a lot of you who didn't like the show, but I loved it and a lot of people did. And it was remaining popular when they pulled the plug. I still think it's wrong, whatever the excuse is. Uh, once again, this is Marty Cooper. Stay on the positive side. On the Positive Side is brought to you by The Colony, online at colonymusic.com or in the heart of the theater district at 49th and Broadway. You can always say, I found it at The Colony. Listening room. So a good friend of mine, Kira Smith, who I hadn't seen in over a year, pops up right in front of my building and I chat with her and it turns out she's auditioning in my building with her acapella jazz group for something. So I say, stop in the studio for five minutes and record something. They did, so here's a little taste of The Bridge with uh, I Heard of a Man and uh, we'll have a short conversation with them afterwards. I heard of a man who's here to save the world and they call him the Christ. I heard he's the man who calmed the stormy sea with the sound of his voice. Oh, I heard this man can walk on water at any time. Bring sign unto the blind. I heard he's just a man. But what manner of man is this? That his power makes the heart rejoice. Maybe someone that I should know. Wouldn't it be cool if this man I heard of really Son of the living God. Do do do. Zubu ba do ba ba do ba. Oh, we are. Oh, I heard this man has ruling over death. Go ask Jehu.
is like We are The Bridge. My name is Wendell Jordan. My name is Kira Smith. I'm Leslie Warren. And I'm Gregory Lathan. We are a vocal quartet bringing to you an eclectic mix of R&B, soul, jazz, and even a little gospel and funk. Our MySpace page is www.myspace.com slash thebridgeny. Again, that's www.myspace.com slash TheBridgeNY.com. Right now we're going to present to you a, an original tune called I Heard of a Man. This tune is one of our samples of gospel and jazz fusion. One to Watch. I've been meaning to get this segment uh, called One to Watch on for a while, but kept getting delayed. But I saw a performer, Omri Shine in People vs. Mona, that kicked me in the butt and said, okay, I'm going to get this started. So, Omri, how are you doing? Good, how are you? Good. Uh, like I said, this is basically because I think, you know, you're one the industry should watch and should pay attention to and Thank hopefully you. cast you again. Thank and, you so much. And this is, this is your first time in a New York production? Yes. And you And you've been with People vs. Mona for a little while? Uh, yeah, I did a production of it in grad school about a year ago. And then I actually just moved back to New York in September and I just noticed the ad in Backstage, and I wrote an email to Jim Wan, not even thinking that maybe I should be in it. Just say, hey, do you need any help with the show or anything? And he was like, well, no, no, audition. I'm like, okay. <laughs> and here I am. <laughs> Is this the same role you played in? Yeah. Um, yeah I did um, accept. It was, we had a much bigger cast, so um, I played two of the four roles there. Um, for our listeners, you play uh, a wide variety of very eccentric yeah. characters, yeah. and uh, you, you really ham it up, eat the scenery, steal the show, um, <laughs> and basically for the producers out there, what I kind of felt is that you were like a very much like a Danny DeVito meets Jerry Lewis kind of okay. humor, and has anybody else ever said anything? Um, no, I've gotten weird things. I've gotten like young Mel Brooks's, I've gotten Nathan Lane's, I've gotten Matthew Broderick's, I've gotten Martin Short's. Like, Weird combinations of things, I don't know. <laughs> so where did you go to grad school? Uh, San Diego State University. They have a uh, MFA musical theater there. There's only two in the country that offer a master's degrees right now in musical theater, I think. I think another one offers a, a master's in music. I think Boston does. So. so have you done any work with the Old Globe down there? No. Uh, I'm not not equity, so <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. You're also yeah. not even equity yet on the stage, so yeah, so that that should change soon. Yeah, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully, please. <laughs> so, um, what are you now? You staying in New York here? Yeah, I'm originally from here, sort of, but then I went to grad school and now I'm back. So here I am. <laughs> <laughs> Any particular professors between either your regular college or grad school that you want to kind of shout out that you felt you really got a lot from? Um, both. Uh, Paula Kalustian, who I hope she feels better. She was in the hospital. Uh, just I think she still is, so I'm hope, hoping she feels better. And Rick Seamus and Terry O'Donnell, they all helped me a lot. <laughs> 
So, uh, what's what is your future plans here in New York? How are you how are you getting by? What's your day job? I actually I work at Borders at Columbus Circle. Uh, that's what I do, and yeah, auditioning when I can. You know, there's not much that I can audition for because I'm you know I'm not equity, but I go to non-union auditions, and that's about it. And so, for the listeners, maybe t- tell us a couple of your roles in a. Uh, in this People vs. Mona that you play? I play uh, the bailiff. I play uh, Yupal Arpu, a 96-year-old, uh, the legendary litigator, as they call him, uh, Dr. Bloodweather, who is, some, as a review, call me an obsessive-compulsive dentist, and uh, Ruff Sanjani Patel, who is a motel uh, owner. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, I thank you so much for coming down thank and joining so us. For having me. And if any of the producers out there do, you know, think you are someone to watch, uh, you can just go ahead and email me, and I'll I'll hook you up with Omri. Cool. Thank you so much. Okay. <laughs> Top of the trades. Fan favorite and two-time Tony nominee Raul Esparza will return to Broadway this November in the upcoming revival of Harold Pinter's The Homecoming, the musical. <laughs> no. We're just kidding. It's just Harold Pinter's The Homecoming. Esparza will star alongside award-winning actor Ian McShane and Michael McKeon of Laverne and Shirley fame, who has previously starred on Broadway's Edna Turnblad and Hairspray. Daniel Sullivan, who recently directed Roundabout's Prelude to a Kiss and whose other recent credits include Proof and Rabbit Hole, will direct the revival. Looking at the ultimate dysfunctional family, The Homecoming is set in northern London. McShane will play Max, the family's patriarch. McKean will play his younger brother Sam, and Esparza will play Lenny, one of his three sons and the town pimp. Yeah, we get to see Raul Esparza as a pimp. Uh huh. Max's estranged eldest son returns home with his new wife, and betrayal and seduction ensue. Casting for several roles has yet to be announced. The play runs at the Court Theatre, beginning previews on November 16th, with a projected opening date of December 4th. I'm sure this is going to come as a shock to many of our listeners, but the new Hairspray film opened this past weekend. <laughs> Shocked. But what is shocking is that. At number three on the box office chart, it still achieved a record for the best movie musical opening in film history. It is currently playing at over 3,000 locations throughout the U.S. and ranked just below I Now Pronounce You Chuck and Larry and Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix. Variety reports that it soared well past its projected opening weekend gross. The film, which opened on July 20th, was directed by Adam Shankman and stars new clumber, Nikki Blonsky as the spirited Tracy Turnblad, as well as an all-star lineup including John Travolta, Michelle Pfeiffer, Amanda Bynes, Allison Janney, and Christopher Walken. <laughs> and oh yeah, Zac Efron. There's probably a couple of you who like him. Off-Broadway's Rattlestick Playwrights Theater has just announced the lineup for its upcoming 13th season, which will be the first to include four shows, and will kick off with Adam Rapp's new play, American Slingo. Yes, we interviewed Adam Rapp a little while back. Check out that interview. Rapp will direct his play about a wrestling legend who is about to retire. Problems seem not to be in short order at a gathering on the eve of his last wrestling match. The New York Post reports that hit Australian musical Priscilla, Queen of the Desert is likely headed for Broadway. The production opened last fall in Sydney and is based on the 1994 film in which two drag queens and a transsexual perform a cabaret show in the middle of nowhere in the Australian outback. Many of the 70s disco hits featured in the film also appear in the musical. The production will be costly, with a reported 23 tons of scenery and over 500 costumes. They already have people lined up outside of Xanadu to take people down for a mailing list to let them know when it comes out. The question is, will people go see Priscilla or just keep going back to Xanadu? 
Top of the Trades is sponsored by BroadwayWorld.com. For all the latest and greatest updates in theater news, as well as forums and community, be sure to head to BroadwayWorld.com. Curtain Call. Well, unfortunately, a lot of closing is going on on Broadway. This week, we say goodbye to Beauty and the Beast after 13 years, Grey Gardens after 10 months, 110 in the Shade after 4 months, and Gypsy, well, we all knew it was a limited run, but uh, we're sad to see it go. And the Drowsy Chaperone is closing early in the UK. Uh, I guess they just didn't seem to get it like we did. <laughs> but <laughs> says the Brits ever knew. We got a lot to look forward to here on Broadway Bullet. On volume 125, we are starting eight weeks of extensive coverage of the New York Musical Theater Festival with interviews, in-studio performances, music, and more. Uh, you're definitely going to want to catch that one. I think next week we're starting a contest to, for somebody to win a gold membership package to that as well. So tune in, make sure, because that's the only place we're going to tell you how to win. Um, we've also got a couple interviews coming up from Xanadu. I don't want to jinx it by saying who, but I think everybody's going to be going to be happy with what we got coming on. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, we're also expecting a, a couple people who are returning to rent after a long time to pop in here. Uh, a lot more going on, so you're just going to have to stay tuned. Again, I'd also like to give out a quick thanks to all of our interns who have been helping out so much. Uh, we got a few of them here. We've got Deborah Blumenthal, Victoria Myers, John Delamar, Karen Marshall, Hallie Parsonette, and Amanda Hutt. In addition to all the help they do with me, they also are blogging and writing about theater-related things quite frequently at broadwaybullet.com, so be sure to check that out. Um, John Delamar's been doing some reviews. Uh, there's a, Amanda does quite a bit of blogging in addition to Hallie and Deborah. So a lot more to read on the website. Be sure to check that at broadwaybullet.com. And until next week, I'm your host, Michael Gilbo, and thanks for climbing on board the Broadway Bullet. Actually, the barfait thing comes from my whole life. People just going vulture, boggler. So it didn't take much, though, when he um, proposed. I said yes. It's fun to know that those lines will stay in the show when other actors do it in the future. The hairs went up on the back of my neck. It was a thrilling moment. with the audience and explore them a little bit. So, a little more about our brand new theater and business arts major. I know what most theater programs are like, and I've talked to thousands of artists. All of this told me that a new style of theater major was needed. Theater majors can get a pretty good arts education just about anywhere, but most programs do very little to prepare actors, directors, playwrights, technicians, producers, etc. to manage their careers. When you go into the arts, you are your own business, and you need to manage that to strategically plan for your career to grow. If you've listened to many of these interviews, you know you need to be self-starters to create your own opportunities. I'm going to make sure you are ready for that world. You'll get a ton of opportunities as an undergraduate. Actors will act, even as freshmen, 
Designers will design shows right away. Playwrights will see their shows mounted. Directors will direct. Producers will handle shows from inception to execution. Outstanding guest artists will conduct workshops, and outstanding students will even work on this podcast and travel to New York with me for interview weeks. And if that isn't enough, we've got an amazing program that will pay all or part of your student loan payments, even private loans if you are earning less than $40,000 six months after graduation. That is an invaluable option that lets you pursue your passion in theater with less financial pressure. If interested, and I hope you are, Go to broadwaybullet.com. I'd love to help you launch your career.